Welcome to Dabber Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Wuchak. I'm here with author DM Needham, or Donna. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Now, you have two books out. Which one was your first? My first one was My Days of Dancing with the Dark Muse, and actually it came out a year ago yesterday. Well, happy one-year anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> so where was the inspiration for this one? Um, the main character, Nigel Hardigan, was a side character in another piece. And um, my husband started dialysis, so I got stuck kind of being at Barnes & Noble in the cafe for three to four hours at a time, three right. times a week. So passing the time, Nigel decided, hey, I want my own story. So it started out as a little bit of a blog, and I decided I didn't want to go that route. And he just, I just kept getting inspired and writing and writing, and he had his own story eventually. So with it, uh, it's got a twisty ending, and there you go. That's, I think that's how most of our stories go when we're doing spinoffs or we start off with an idea. One of our characters just go, hey, I want a story. I'm going to talk to oh. you today. Oh, definitely, or wake up in the middle of the night or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, exactly. it's gonna, it, the ones that come when I'm trying to sleep are the best because I don't remember writing half the stuff they want. No. Now, I, I have to drive, when I drive my husband to dialysis now, it's like, if I'm in the car coming back home alone, one of them, no doubt, will have some kind of plot twist to throw at me. Never fails. So. Exactly. Do you use your phone for, uh, like, dictation to keep notes? Sometimes, but most of the time I just stick it in my head and try to jot it down as soon as I can. Um, rarely, if I use my phone, do I go back and look at it, unless I really wanted to remember you know, everything precisely. But mm -hmm. usually I have a good enough grasp that I don't need to. Well, you're a lot better at it than I am. I'll forget <laughs> the time I got into the house. <laughs> <laughs> I, try to, I try to stay focused, and, and they, they don't let up. That's the thing. It's like when they give me an idea, they just keep hammering it home. So Exactly. Or you're trying to work on one project, and the character for something that you're not even planning, you don't even know where this character came from, they're just like, here I am, you're going to talk to me today. Like, who are you? Oh. <laughs> definitely. I mean, definitely. Like, Nigel, I mean, the main character in the story, honestly, he was going to die. He was going to die. I was going to kill him off. There was no doubt in my mind I was going to kill him off. And I was driving the car with my husband somewhere, and all of a sudden it's like Nigel rears his head and is like, oh, no, I got a better idea for you. So oh, yeah. that kind of that kind of changed things, and off I went. Yeah, I have a couple characters that are completely dead right now. Like I killed them off in a previous book, and they're like, "Oh no, we're right here. You're gonna figure out how to get us back to life." I'm like, "Oh great." Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were dead. <laughs> no, no, no. When they want to come back, they may you may have a spinoff there somewhere. Before yeah, die, like a prequel or something. Yeah, a prequel to the prequel that where they died in. I'm like, okay, you died, but now you're alive. How does this work? <laughs> they do it on soap operas all the time, so there you go. I know. It's, it's wonderful. Like, I forget. Uh, let's see. Days of Our Lives back in the 90s killed off a character three or four times before they finally retired the character. 
Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we also, I think it was the early 90s, late 80s with Marlena was possessed by the devil or whatever. And it was, yeah. They, they've done some over-the-top things. And as a writer, you know, you have to be amused when, when they do that. So you can take liberties. Think about it that way. Just don't tick off your, your readers because once you tick off your readers, then you're in trouble. Um, well, I think I ticket them off when I kept the character to begin with, so ah, this okay. might put put them back in my my favor. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> so we have the second book that you have out. Where did that one fit in? Um, Worth waiting for it started out as um, it was going to be a contest that I had entered, and I wrote the book, and I was excited about it. And what basically happened was I looked over the contract. And I was not quite happy with the contract because basically mm-hmm. it alluded to the fact that they could take my book, use it, and, you know, change it up a bit. And if, it was, if their version of the book was a lot like mine, I couldn't do anything about it. So I decided that I was going to maintain, maintain my book, um, put a little bit of touches from Nigel's world in there or the Better to Burn Out series world in there. But it's a, it's a standalone. It's a standalone romance um, it's still along the lines of the Hollywood type novel or rock. There's still rock fiction in there. That's basically my wheelhouse. So the characters just came to me, and I went with it. And I wrote that book. That's that has to be the quickest book I've ever written. And it's gotten positive feedback, and people like it, and they they like the romantic aspect of it, which I never really considered myself a true romance writer. But some of the reviews have been like really positive, and then I've given them hope about romance. Like, okay, that's that's good. That's great. So, Yeah, I'm not a romance writer, but there's a little bit of romance in my books. I'm like, I seek outside counsel when I'm writing it because I'm like, I'm not a romance writer. I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. <laughs> well, I mean, if you write romance based on your experiences, it's usually an easier thing. It's what I try to do with my books is I try to call them, I try to lump them together as realistic fiction because there's, a, there, there's aspects of reality in them. And I know people read to escape, but sometimes mm-hmm. just like we look at Hollywood and we start tearing down people in Hollywood when their life starts going to, to hell, excuse my language. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we get off on looking at that. I mean, that's why we have this tabloid cottage industry. We have Perez Hilton because of this. So I felt if I put realistic aspects in it, even with romance, if you put realistic aspects of romance of when you feel attracted to somebody in there, you're on the right track when people can relate to it then. And, right. And that's, that's one thing about being a writer. You want, you want to be able to cause some kind of reaction, emotional, some kind of feeling that, that gets the reader connected with your story. Correct. So what are you working on right now? Uh, currently I'm working on the second book to the Better to Burn Out series. So we're, we're delving into Nigel's world about how some of his journey has progressed. Um, he's not the main character in the book. He's kind of, he, he's one of the main characters in the book. Whereas, he's behaving, this one. <laughs> I wouldn't say he's behaving because in order for him to behave, um, my readers most likely would be ticked off with me because he is the ultimate unapologetic bad boy in uh, My Days of Dancing with the Dark Muse. <laughs> he, is, he, he is your... You know, one of the first person that actually read my book, she told me she's like it reminded her of reading Nikki Six's book from Motley Crue, and I was like, okay, well, I, I I never read it. So last, I guess last winter, I decided, well, I got a little time, I'll read this, 
And Nigel's tame compared to Nikki Six, but uh, it, it's a true rock and roll bad boy story. So I, I get the comparison, but yeah, Nikki Six is way worse. <laughs> well, I haven't read that one, so I might have to. Pick oh, it up. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say this: in the book, it says something about not showering for seven days, being out of toilet paper, and still being with a woman. Intimately. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, so. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, mm. not for the same part. That kind of left you tongue tied on that one. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt after I read. It. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how that works, but okay, I guess it worked in the book. <laughs> well, you know, it it, it was his diary. It was his true diaries, and if you're a rock star, some people don't care. Apparently, so that's how I take that. Oh. Apparently, I, I have to seek outside counsel for that one. <laughs> I don't know what any rock stars are going to ask if that's true. <laughs> but, no, I, I don't think you want to. No, I don't want to, because <laughs> that that would just be mind boggling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's yeah. not go it's, there. <laughs> no, the next 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 question. <laughs> So, well, okay, we're working on the works in progress. We yeah, have yeah. Nigel sort of keeping his cool in this, I'll say, because he's not t- trying to take over the book at this point. No, he, he's he's got a, there's another character that's trying to do that. Um, and also, I'm, I, this, it'll be 10 years since I released my vampire short story, Immortal Love. So I'm in the process of trying to rework that. I don't know that I'll get it out this year, but that was the first thing I ever published was a couple of short stories, an anthology. So I want to try to work on that too. So rock stars and vampires. Oh my. That should be in the title of a book somewhere. It should be. It should be. But I think Anne Rice wrote it. <laughs> I, I her, don't know. Uh, Maybe. Well, the vampire, the vampire list that he was a rock star. So it kind of fits the bill, you know, hmm. So. I'm sure you can toss around an idea with that a little bit. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I'm not to the vampire parts of my story, so I'm not like, hmm, that could work, but I'm not there yet. So I'm going <laughs> to leave the vampires to know more capable hands at this point. I have too many works in progress. Yeah. yeah. I'm not there. <laughs> understand. you got to feel it, otherwise it just feels... Stifled, and it doesn't flow, and it doesn't read well. Oh, I know. It. I'm working on one that I was asked to write. It's a privilege to write this work that I'm doing. At the same uh-huh. time, I'm like, it's so outside my wheelhouse. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, that happens. It does happen. But it's fun. But consider the. Yeah, it's fun and consider the experience, and sometimes it helps you grow as a writer to write outside your wheelhouse. Correct. And doing things that are outside your wheelhouse is what forces you to grow, because then you get so many new ideas. Right. I mean, had I not done half the things in my life, I would not be able to write about them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, life experiences. It, for a writer, it's a wealth of information. 
great, let's go do some crazy wild stuff so in 10 years we can write about it and make a killer fictional book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> People look at us weird when they say that, but seriously, if you don't take your life experience, laugh at it, turn it around into some fictional story, how can you deal with it? Right. I mean, writing can be a great uh, caveat for healing, too. Mm-hmm. The person that's writing, if you've been through a trauma and you're writing out your trauma, even if it says a different person or a different character, you're still, you know, you're still going through those emotions. You know, to me, writing is a lot like acting. You have to live in the moment. So you have to go through that feeling when you're writing. You have to be there. If you're not present in that scene in your head, then, you know, are you missing out on something? Because you know what the character's feeling in that moment. Exactly. It's taking, no matter what experience you've been through, I'm going to throw out a car accident. Accident. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. You don't have to write about a car accident. You can write about a witch that falls off her broom. Yeah. You can go, a fairy breaks her wing. Right. It's not you're writing the car accident. You're writing, you know what the character's feeling because they've been in this trauma. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, trauma can be healed in a lot of ways, and I think think people don't realize that when you're writing, it can be very freeing. And you you can look at things from a different set of eyes and be more objective to the situation. Exactly. It's... When you're able to look at things objectively, I was just interviewing a couple of days ago a children's book author that wrote about this virus. Mm-hmm. And it's showing you a different way to handle society through a children's book. Well, and I mean, there is no, there is no guideline for how do you teach your children about this. So that's, right. that's a great gift and a great book to have out there. But at the same time, it's opening our eyes to another point mm-hmm. of view. Yeah. I mean, there's how many points of view on this virus right now? Two million, at least? At least. And if we can go through a neutral, the gray zone, and learn mm-hmm. about about this, then we're advancing. If we're just Correct. sitting here debating it, we're never going to advance. No. I mean, there, there's somebody in my immediate family that him and I have totally different opinions about the virus. And you just, you realize when, at a certain point, you realize you can't change, you can't debate, so it's just better not to say anything. Right. So you just step away from the situation because it's not worth it. And, and that's, that's an unfortunate thing that this has done. It, mm-hmm. it has put people, there's a fine line that people debate about. And at a certain point with all the other stresses, you just don't need that stress. So. Right. So instead of stressing about it and having a different opinion, go through the gray zone, mm-hmm. <laughs> find your middle ground. I'm just using a virus because it's out there. It's in public. We right. talk about it every day. Everybody, everybody, everybody's talking about it. It's there. Yeah. You know, But this principle can be used for just about anything. So like with writing, we take the gray zone to heal. Right. And then once you heal and you have this different point of view, 
then you're able to go past it and go, that was funnier now that I'm looking back on it. It wasn't funny going through it. No. And and the other thing is it offers you the ability to to look at it and help somebody else get through it. Exactly. um, Some people that have read my days, um, because it deals with some dark subject matter, I've had a couple of people that I know that they've been triggered and they couldn't finish it, and that's been friends of mine. So, I, I mean, I'm happy that it connected with them. I don't want to trigger anybody, but this was a character's journey that they went on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's a fine line when you're walking that, when you're, trying to, when you're trying to put something out there to help, there's also going to be people that are triggered. So yeah. back to that gray zone, you know. Some, where's that gray zone at sometimes? Sometimes that gray zone is a lot wider for people, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a very narrow line. Yes, it is. You have, depending on the trauma, if it's a domestic trauma or a trauma from war, something like this, your line is, depending on where you're at in your healing, can be a very, the size of a hair. Right. Or it can be a mile wide. Right. I mean... My mother, uh, okay, I'll, I'll be honest, and I mean it's out there on my blog. My mom committed suicide when I was 22 years old, um, so roughly 30 years ago. And, yes, I just sold my age. Um, but the thing is, when it first happened, I went through this whole process. And I went to this group, and there was somebody that said, you know, we always look at suicide as this, this tragedy. But somebody reframed this for me because their daughter had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about the, the suicide. They said, you know, she was on a mission. She had always been on a mission to do this. No matter what we did to try to stop her, she was always on a mission. And I know, how does this tie in? The suicide stayed with me for a very long time. And there was things that if I saw somebody, you know, if I'm watching a TV show or a movie and somebody put a gu- pulled out a gun and put it to their head, I, I was triggered. I couldn't look at it. So there was always this very thin line. Mm-hmm. As time passed and I refrained and I, I worked through it, that line is much bigger. Does it still bother me on occasion? Of course. Mm-hmm. But I look, at the, I look at things differently as an adult than I did at 22. Exactly. And that's the thing. As you move past your traumas, it's easier to look at things through different sets of eyes. Very true. Sorry. It's <laughs> No, 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 no. Don't ever be sorry because, one, we're learning about you as an author. Two, we're learning about your books, what drove you really to healing in your books. And three, possibly someone's out there listening to this, and they can help heal by going through your journey. I mean, the one thing about suicide that nobody already thinks about is, you know, and it is the biggest basically screw you, I would say unpolitely, but we're on, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest F you in the world. That's how you feel when it happens, especially when it's a parent or someone you love. It, it feels like they did this, you know, you've tried to help them and everything else, and you feel helpless, like you couldn't, you couldn't do anything to stop it. So, yeah, there's, like yeah, it, it's just something that you have to move through. You have to look at it through all points of view. Unfortunately, we don't have the point of view of the person that committed suicide unless they journaled every day. Right. 
And I mean, you can't hold yourself responsible for somebody else's actions. I mean, we we had those cluster suicides years ago with the high school kids. One would do it, and then another would do it, and then another would do it. Um, the fact is, most of the time now we don't see what the other. When somebody says, "I'm fine," and I'm 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 okay, I'm wonderful. They're not telling you the truth because nobody digs deep enough anymore. Mm-mm. So it's like we have to find a way when somebody's like, oh, I'm fine, and really look at their body language, look at their face and say, are you really? You know, what's I'm, going on? Yeah, I'm so thankful. I have a one, about two years ago I was interviewing a terrific self-help author who's a veteran, and he mm-hmm. was trained in social cues. He was the first person when I was interviewing him to realize something was going on with me that, A, one, I wasn't fine. He is now one of my best friends. That's awesome. But he was one of the people that realized something was going on in my house, something was Mm -hmm. going on with me, and something was holding me back, and I was afraid. That's awesome that you had that person to recognize that. Because, like I said, there's so many people that don't. Yes. I accredit him for helping me through my journey to heal. Because if it wasn't for that interview to talk about his book, I would never have met him. If I wouldn't have met him, who knows if I would have been on the path that I'm at now. Well, and, and see, that's that's the important thing. That's one thing that... I believe in wholeheartedly. I, I had a pretty crappy stepfather, and um, I looked at him as what he as he was. I became a step parent, and because I had that relationship with my stepfather, it taught me not to be that kind of step parent. So I learned how to be a step parent. And if you look at your life and you pay attention, there's certain journeys that you've learned this lesson that you can incorporate. And like you said, because you met this person, you recognize that they changed your life. Most people don't really think about those things. They don't think about how something plays into your life that ends up teaching you something that you can learn from and end up using later on. They they just keep going and going and going, and they're not looking at the big picture of how did this trauma or how did this event, good or bad, uh, teach me how to live my life now. Exactly. Um, a lot of things are interconnected. And, I mean, I read cards. I read tarot cards. And... I see this in, when I do readings sometimes that people just don't see the interconnectedness of things, mm-hmm. and it, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, but I'm glad um, you recognize that. If you read tarot cards, if you have someone that does tarot cards for you, or ruin stones, even star charts, there's things that are interconnected, but we take and we need to look at them because right. we may not find the meaning of why. Mom committed suicide. Why our stepdad was a jerk, or because I had a stepdad was the king of jerks. <laughs> because of, yeah. So, so I mean, if we don't look at these things from our past, we can learn so much from our own past, but also from our parents' past, our grandparents' right. past. See how they're right. interconnected. I mean, I I had this thought come to me this earlier this week, and it was something along the lines of, let me find it real quick, um, it was finding truth in life can be a difficult task, and it made me think about my parents. My parents split, and my mom was so happy to tell me what her side of the story was, 
where my dad's like, oh, no, not until you're older. Okay. So when I'm 40, I finally say to my dad, tell me the truth. Tell me your version of the truth. So he tells me his version, and it was like the butterfly effect. Everything mm-hmm. suddenly changed. You know, I had all these different perceptions. So I let that ruminate. I got a little aggravated about my, what my mom said. And then I realized about maybe six months down the road that the truth is both their, hers and his, but the real truth is somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. because he's got his version of the truth. She's got her version of the truth. And it's really true. It's, the truth lies in the middle somewhere. Exactly. But both had, their egos wouldn't let them be truthful in the full avenue of what happened. So I, I think, you know, yeah, that well, makes um, really sense. I mean, truth is, no, truth no, no, is trauma truth, and all those things. Yeah, truth is manipulated mm-hmm. within our own brains. We mm-hmm. believe our version of truth. It takes an outsider looking in who knows nothing to find the gray area. Mm-hmm. And so that's back to the gray area. Yeah. Everything goes back to gray. Nothing in life is black and white. There's always a gray area for everything. You just have to find yeah. it. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I love living in gray area because there's no here or there. Right. But in reality, can we live in the gray area? No, because you, there's certain aspects where you need rules. Um Rules need to be in place, and rules can't be gray. They have to be either black or white. Right. Or they should be. They should be. That's a better way to say it because rules are different for certain people, and that's where that's where the travesty happens. So. Yes. This has been a fun conversation. Okay, so where can our listeners find you, and do you do tarot cards for – like clients and stuff, or just friends? Um, I I used to have a website for my tarot business, but I do not now. If somebody really wanted a reading, they could contact me at dmneedham.com. They could send me a message, and I'd be glad to set something up. Um, I My books are available on, well, right now, my days is available only on Amazon, and Worth Waiting For is available with most uh, ebook retailers. Uh, com is my webpage. It has all my links to all my social media as well. And it has my blog with some samples of my days and also worth waiting for. Awesome. So. It's such a pleasure to have you with me today because this, in a journey of healing, this was a very productive call. It wasn't so much about the book, but <laughs> it's okay. Well, like I said, I go off topic, but... This isn't just about the book. This is connecting the readers to the author. Because right, as authors, right. we're people. We right. need to connect on a level of being people. Right. I get that totally. I do. So thank you so much for being on the show. And I can't wait to look or hear about your third book. Well, thank you very much for having me. And it was a pleasure. And I look forward to talking to you again. Looking forward to it. And for all of our listeners, happy reading.